part of Alabama caught our attention. Coal miners in one community, they've been on strike now for months. Working as long as 12 hours a day, seven days a week, in some of the most dangerous conditions. I really think that the labor movement is the single greatest force for democracy in the history of the United States. The story of Alabama is a story of not just resilience, but of militancy. If we ain't all free, ain't none of us free. You're listening to Alabama's only union talk radio show, The Valley Labor Report, with Adam Keller and Jacob Morrison. Hey, good morning, y'all. Welcome to The Valley Labor Report. My name is Adam Keller, and this is Shop Talk, our new Thursday morning episode we're producing every week with a focus on labor education, history, and training. It's Thursday, May 4th, and we're broadcasting live from Spice Radio Studio in the heart of the Tennessee Valley in Huntsville, Alabama. Every episode is live streamed on YouTube and Facebook and is released on your favorite podcasting platform in the coming days. Today on the show, back to working class history with a look at the anniversaries in May. Just a reminder that the Valley Labor Report is a working class media collective dedicated to lifting up labor struggles throughout Alabama and across the South. We bring you Alabama's only union talk radio show every Saturday morning with the first half from 9.30 to 11 a.m. live on FM radio through WVNN here in the Huntsville listening area. The entire program is online via Facebook, YouTube, and podcast. And portions of the program are replayed on WZZA in the Shoals and WHIV out of New Orleans. We encourage you to check out our website, tvlr.fm, which we are currently expanding to feature regularly published articles, including news and commentary relevant to working people. You can also check out our merch at tvlr.fm slash store. And finally, we rely on donations and sponsorships to put out all of this free content. We appreciate the local unions and organizations that have sponsored ads on our main Saturday show. We are still looking for sponsors for Overtime and Shop Talk. Uh, I'm excited we'll have our first uh, advertisement this morning on today's Shop Talk, but we still could use a couple more to sustain the series for the long haul. And beyond unions and allied organizations, we're also interested in other media outlets, union print shops and vendors, publishers, You know, anyone who might be interested in reaching an audience of union activists and allies. So please hit us up if you have ideas for sponsors or if you're interested in your organization becoming a sponsor. As much as we love our sponsors, we also love our individual supporters. Our single biggest source of contributions comes from listener donations. You can make a one-time donation or a recurring contribution at tvlr.fm slash donate. We also have a Patreon if you prefer to donate that way, and we'll even take a good old-fashioned check mailed to our P.O. box. Whether you donate, share, subscribe, or just listen, we appreciate your support, and we can't do it without you. We put out all of this content for free because we are dedicated to growing the Southern labor movement. If you share this mission, please support however you can so we can have media of, by, and for the working class. And at the Valley Labor Report, we are big fans of Labor Notes. Labor Notes is a media and organizing project that has been the voice of union activists who want to put the movement back in the labor movement since 1979. 
through their magazine, website, books, conferences, and workshops. Labor Nodes promotes organizing, aggressive strategies to fight concessions, alliances with worker centers, and unions that are run by their members. Labor Notes is also a network of rank-and-file members, local union leaders, and labor activists who know the labor movement is worth fighting for. They encourage connections between workers in different unions, worker centers, communities, industries, and countries to strengthen the movement from the bottom up. With 40 years of movement building behind them, Labor Notes exists as a resource for leaders and union members who want to chart a new course for the labor movement. At the Valley Labor Report, we are proud subscribers and supporters, and we encourage our listeners to do the same. Go to labornotes.org to find out more. So today, we're going to discuss the important events in social justice and labor history throughout the month of May, including taking a look at our favorite holiday, May Day. And I do apologize for the late start this morning. Uh, unfortunately, I had a flat tire, so I spent my morning in the, in the repair shop. But uh, we're here now, and we're going to do some history. Last week, we had a training episode on learning the legislature, and we had Tara Bailey from the Alabama Channel on to demonstrate how to actually monitor legislation in Alabama, how to find bills, how to hear the debates, uh, and, of course, how to contact your legislators. So if you missed that last week, definitely check that out. Uh, last week's shop talk it should be available now as a podcast though i will warn you if you listen as a podcast you are going to miss the on-air demonstration from tara so you might want to check out the youtube video to get the full experience now with all that out of the way it is time to share some of the may anniversaries in labor history and our long fight for justice i compiled this information primarily from two sources uh, first, the 2022-23 edition of Planning to Change the World, a plan book for social justice educators. This excellent planner is published by the Education for Liberation Network, and I want to make sure I give them full credit. And shout out as well to the Zen Education Project, uh, which is another great resource. I highly recommend checking out their This Day in History section of their website, as well as their hashtag TDIH posts on social media. It's a great way to learn and see what important events relevant to working people have happened on any particular day in history. So May was a really big month in working class history. Let's get started. May Day is May 1st. And uh, if you didn't celebrate it, why not? May Day is also known as International Workers' Day. It's a day to recognize the social and economic achievements of the international labor movement. It also commemorates the 1886 Haymarket Massacre in Chicago, in which Chicago police fired on workers during a general strike for the eight-hour day, killing several demonstrators. And I will, I'll speak more about Haymarket here in just a moment. So May Day is officially recognized as a Labor Day holiday in much of the world, and in much of the world we saw marches and rallies and demonstrations by workers, but it is not an official Labor Day in the United States, uh, a holdover from anti-communist, anti-left-wing propaganda. May 1st is also the first day of Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. May is designated as a month to celebrate the history, traditions, and culture of Asian Pacific Americans, and it was officially signed into law back in 1992. 
May 1st is also the first day of Mental Health Awareness Month. Mental Health Awareness Month was initiated in the U.S. in 1949 by the National Association for Mental Health, now known as Mental Health America. The aim is not only to raise awareness about mental health issues, but to reduce the stigma associated with mental health struggles. I know so many of our comrades, our brothers and sisters out there, are struggling with mental health issues uh, and wishing you all the best. Certainly seek as much help as you need and as you can get. We know that the healthcare system in this country is so broken, our for-profit healthcare, uh, but certainly urging all to, to take care of themselves. 20 years ago, on May 1st, 2003, President George W. Bush declared victory in Iraq. Standing on an aircraft carrier in front of a mission accomplished sign, President George W. Bush declared the U.S. had achieved victory in Iraq. The victory dance was widely condemned as the war in Iraq continued for many years afterward. Since 2004, after his declaration, thousands of combatants on all sides and an estimated 100,000 Iraqi civilians have died. Furthermore, the war in Iraq destabilized the entire region, inflamed sectarian tensions between Sunnis, Shiites, and other groups, while leading to the growth of ISIS. May 1st is also the 160th anniversary of the Confederacy authorizing the enslavement or execution of black Union troops. Incensed that black troops were fighting alongside Union soldiers, a joint resolution adopted by the Confederate Congress and signed by their president, Jefferson Davis, declared, quote, All Negroes or mulattoes, slave or free, taken in arms, should be turned over to the authorities and tried by Confederate military tribunals for inciting insurrection and be subject, at the discretion of the court and the president, to the death penalty. Apparently, uh, black-fired bullets are extra painful to racists. On May 1st, Irish-born American labor leader Mary Mother Jones was born in County Cork, Ireland, back in 1830. She endured misfortune early in her life as her husband and four children died in the yellow fever epidemic of 1867. She also lost all of her belongings in the Chicago Fire of 1871. She then devoted herself to organizing and advancing the cause of labor, using the slogan, Join the Union, boys. She also sought to prohibit child labor. She remained active until the very end, giving her last speech on her 100th birthday. Mother Jones was a staple of labor organizing in the early 20th century and could be frequently found supporting our brothers and sisters in the United Mine Workers of America. May 2nd is National Teachers Day, a day set aside to honor teachers for their contributions to learning, child development, and the community. In honor of National Teachers Day and Educator Appreciation Week, I want to thank all of the public school educators who've helped me and my family. I know how hard you work. I know how important your job is. Just recently, I've spent several days in high schools over the past week as a guest speaker and also as a substitute teacher. And let me tell you, if you've never gone back to volunteer or substitute at the K-12 school since you've left as a student, maybe consider it because it might just be eye-opening. May 2nd is the 60th anniversary of the Children's Crusade. 
As the civil rights movement in Alabama began to lose momentum, an idea was hatched to involve children in the fight. Dubbed the Children's Crusade, approximately 1,000 students marched from 6th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham. Bull Connor and local police responded with brutality and violence, outraging national news audiences and then-President John F. Kennedy. Later that year, an agreement was made between civil rights leaders and the city of Birmingham to end segregation in public accommodations. Also on May 2nd, back in 1933, German police units occupied all trade unions' headquarters in the country, arresting union officials and leaders. Their treasuries were confiscated and the unions abolished. Hitler announced that the German labor front, headed by his appointee, would replace all unions, and they would look after the workers of Germany. It's worth remembering that labor, uh, labor unions and labor activists were among the first victims of the brutal, disgusting Nazi regime. On May 2, 1972, a fire at the Sunshine Silver Mine in Kellogg, Idaho, caused the deaths of 91 workers who died from carbon monoxide poisoning, likely caused by toxic fumes emitted by burning polyurethane foam, which was used as a fire retardant. A reminder of how dangerous it is to be a miner in the past and to this day. May 3rd is World Press Freedom Day. World Press Freedom Day is a UNESCO-sponsored event that serves as a reminder to governments throughout the world of their obligation to respect and protect the freedom of the press. This is especially important at this time because of constant threats against the press from those in power. This day is also one of remembrance of journalists who have lost their lives in the pursuit of keeping the public informed. May 3rd is the 110th anniversary of California's alien land law. In an effort to curtail Japanese immigration, California passed the alien land law in 1913, preventing Asian immigrants from owning land. Because of its many loopholes, the law failed to achieve its purpose, and Japanese immigration increased significantly. The law was then amended in 1920 and again in 1923, Barring the leasing of land and land ownership by, by American-born children of Asian immigrants, as well as by corporations that were controlled by Asian immigrants. May 4th is the anniversary of the Haymarket Affair, the Haymarket Riot, the Haymarket Tragedy, back in 1886. In response to the Chicago Police Department's killing of four workers during a strike at the McCormick Harvester's Works on May 3rd, labor leaders organized a meeting at Haymarket Square for the following night. About 3,000 people assembled, later dwindling to a few hundred. A detachment of 180 policemen showed up. The speaker said the meeting was almost over. Then a bomb exploded in the midst of the police, wounding 66 of whom seven later died. One died from the bomb blast, six others died from gunshot wounds from their fellow officers. The police fired into the crowd, killing several people, wounding 200. Eight anarchists were arrested and put on trial. Facing an openly biased judge in Joseph Gary and a clearly hostile jury, the Haymarket Affair is one of the most infamously unjust trials in American history. 
The prosecution focused on the men's anarchist ties rather than determining whether the accused had any real connection with the crime. Essentially, eight men, seven of whom were not even present at the time the bomb was thrown, were tried and convicted because of their political beliefs. August Spies, Albert Parsons, George Engel, and Adolf Fischer were hanged. Louis Ling killed himself before the state could. Samuel Fielden, Michael Schwab, and Oscar Nieb were sentenced to prison, eventually being granted clemency in 1892. Labor activist Lucy Parsons led the campaign to win a new trial, and one Chicago official called her, quote, more dangerous than a thousand rioters. When her husband Albert Parsons and three other comrades were executed and four others were sentenced to prison, the movement for industrial unions and the eight-hour day was beheaded. Lucy Parsons, far from discouraged, accelerated her actions. Though she had lost Albert and two years later lost her young daughter to illness, Parsons continued her crusade against capitalism and war and to exonerate the Haymarket martyrs. The Haymarket Riot was an important event for the labor movement. The year 1886 became known as the Year of the Great Uprising of Labor. From 1881 to 85, strikes had averaged about 500 each year, involving perhaps 150,000 workers each year. In 1886, there were over 1,400 strikes, involving 500,000 workers. I'll close with a quote from August Spies, one of the executed martyrs. The time will come when our silence will be more powerful than the voices you are throttling today. May 4, 1970, was the Kent State Massacre. At Kent State University, the Ohio National Guard shot unarmed college students some who were protesting the Vietnam War and others who were simply passing by. The guards fired 67 rounds over a period of 13 seconds, killing four students and wounding nine others. Of course, the massacre was memorialized in the fantastic song Ohio by Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, which I highly recommend you check out if you're not familiar with it. May 5th is, of course, Cinco de Mayo, which commemorates the victory of a small Mexican militia over French forces at the Battle of Pepla on May 5th, 1862. Despite this victory, France eventually defeated Mexican forces and occupied the country for three years. Far from being remembered as an act of resistance to European settler colonialism, it's now a holiday full of stereotypes, celebrated by... Largely white Americans eating tacos and getting drunk off margaritas. May 5, 1888. Nineteen machinists working for the East Tennessee, Virginia, and Georgia Railroad gathered in a locomotive pit to decide what to do about a wage cut. They voted to form a union, which later became the International Association of Machinists. May 7 is National Barrier Awareness Day. Proclamation 5472 declared National Barrier Awareness Day as an occasion to recognize and fight against the many barriers, both visible and invisible, that people with disabilities face. On this day, we are reminded to work to eliminate the social, legal, economic, and physical barriers that confront individuals with disabilities.
May 7th is also the 260th anniversary of Pontiac's Rebellion. Pontiac, a chief of the Ottawa tribe, organized a rebellion against British forces in Detroit. The Wyandotte, Ojibwa, and Potawatomi tribes joined forces with Pontiac to oust the British who had taken over the territory after the French and Indian War. Pontiac's allies in New York, Maryland, and Virginia waged similar uprisings against British military garrisons. On May 9, 1971, United Auto Workers President Walter Ruther and his wife May died in a plane crash as they traveled to oversee construction of the Union's education and training facility at Black Lake, Michigan. May 9, 1934 was the date of a historic longshore strike. Starting in the spring of 1934, longshoremen across every port on the West Coast struck against the unfair hiring tactics that they experienced daily. The shipping companies that the men were employed by did not require union membership, and therefore the majority of the employees were unrepresented. In 1933, workers united to publish The Waterfront Worker a newspaper demanding an independent union and better working conditions. On May 9, 1934, the International Longshoremen's Association, the ILA, went on strike to demand union recognition, reduced hours, and increased wages along with a union hiring hall. Primarily, the workers were protesting the daily shape-up which was a hiring system that required the longshoremen to line up each morning and ask for work. Late in the evening of May 15th, police shot and killed Dickie Parker and John Knudsen and shot five other strikers. The worst of the violence occurring on Bloody Thursday, which was memorialized on July 5th. During these bouts of police-initiated violence, the press often blamed radical Reds later arresting five people associating with the Communist Party. On July 31st, employers agreed to negotiate with the union for a fair hiring process and shorter hours, ending the strike. Harry Bridges, a longshoreman, was targeted by the U.S. government and threatened deportation four times for his supposed connection to the Communist Party. The 1934 longshore strike marked an end to decades of employer-controlled hiring processes in labor policies and is sometimes credited for initiating the resurgence of unionism on the West Coast. May 11th is the 50th anniversary of the dismissal of charges against Daniel Ellsberg. Daniel Ellsberg was a leading Vietnam War strategist. While studying top-secret documents, he concluded that America's involvement in Vietnam was based on a decade of lies. In an act of conscience, Ellsberg copied the documents, the so-called Pentagon Papers, and leaked them to members of Congress and the New York Times. Ellsberg was charged with espionage, conspiracy, and theft, and faced a 115-year prison sentence. At trial, all charges were dismissed on the grounds of prosecutorial misconduct. Sorry, I got tongue-tied there. Of course, I can't help but think of the retaliation faced by whistleblowers like Julian Assange, Edward Snowden, Chelsea Manning, and Reality Winter. May 11, 1894 was the date of one of the 
most significant strikes in American history. Back on May 11th in 1894, a nationwide railway strike began at Pullman, Indiana, or Pullman, Illinois, sorry. Nearly 260,000 railroad workers ultimately joined the strike to protest wage cuts by the Pullman Palace Car Company. The strike lasted about two months, paralyzing the rails across the country. The federal government's response to the unrest marked the first time that an injunction was used to break a strike. President of the American Railway Union, Eugene V. Debs, was actually arrested as part of the federal strike-breaking response. On May 12, 1869, the Michigan Supreme Court ruled in favor of school desegregation in the case of Joseph Workman versus the Detroit Board of Education, almost 90 years before the United States landmark Brown versus Board of Education. Fanny Richards, an esteemed local educator, helped successfully promote the case of Joseph Workman and integrate schools in Detroit. On May 12, 1968, which was Mother's Day that year, thousands of women, led by Coretta Scott King, formed the first wave of demonstrators for the Poor People's Campaign. This was one month after Dr. Martin Luther King's assassination in Memphis. In a planning meeting in March of 1968, Dr. King described why this should be a coalition effort, saying, quote, This is a highly significant event, the beginning of a new cooperation understanding, and a determination by poor people of all colors and backgrounds to assert and win their right to a decent life and respect for their culture and dignity. In 2018, Reverend Dr. William Barber II, Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris, and the Repairers of the Breach launched a contemporary Poor People's Campaign, a national call for moral revival. May 12th is the 90th anniversary of the Agricultural Adjustment Act. Large agricultural surpluses during the 1920s had caused prices for farm products to drop steadily, leaving millions of farmers, tenants, and sharecroppers destitute and hundreds of thousands of farms abandoned. The AAA was intended to limit crop production, reduce stock numbers, and offer more favorable mortgages to struggling farmers. Although the AAA did boost U.S. agriculture, it favored larger, more productive farms, eliminating many small farms, tenant farms, and sharecropping, which led to a mass migration to urban areas. You know, and I wonder what folks from earlier eras would think about the idea of producing too much food and the idea that surpluses would lead to poverty. One of the interesting things about capitalism. May 13th is World Fair Trade Day. The World Fair Trade Organization, the WFTO, draws on support from a membership of 350 fair trade organizations across 80 countries. Goals include creating opportunities for economically disadvantaged producers, payment of a fair price, gender equity, and improved working conditions. On May 13th, 1985, the Philadelphia Police Department dropped a C-4 bomb on the home of the MOVE organization, killing 11 people, including five children, and wiping out 61 homes in two city blocks. Friend of the show, Kim Kelly, has a fantastic article, 
article from a couple years back about this tragedy in Teen Vogue that I highly recommend. May 14th is the 110th anniversary of the Philadelphia Dock Workers' Strike. Reflecting Philadelphia's diversity, the city's 5,000 longshoremen were about one-third black and two-thirds white. Employers assumed racism and xenophobia would tear them apart. Instead, they were unified, joining the IWW and going on strike for higher wages and better working conditions. After a successful two-week strike, led by black dock worker Ben Fletcher, the new Local 8 of the IWW was the most racially and ethnically integrated union local in the United States at the time. May 14th this year is Mother's Day. Of course, Mother's Day is an annual holiday that celebrates mothers, motherhood, and the influence of mothers and mother figures in society. Spe special shout out to my own mom. Thank you for all of your sacrifices. And special shout out to my wife, Maggie, the mother of our lovely daughter, Ida. Mother's Day is celebrated in many countries around the world, though some celebrate on a different day. Mother's Day actually began as a call to action to improve the lives of families through health and peace. Ann Jarvis of Appalachia founded Mother's Day in 1858 to promote sanitation in response to high infant mortality. After the Civil War, abolitionist Julia Ward Howe made a Mother's Day call to women to protest the carnage of war. On May 14, 1960, fire hoses confront free speech in San Francisco City Hall. When the House on Un-American Activities Committee, HUAC, held hearings in San Francisco May 12 through 14, 1960, to investigate alleged communist subversion, they encountered a reception unlike any they had had any they had ever seen. The previous year, HUAC had subpoenaed San Francisco Bay Area journalists, college professors, and 110 public school teachers, then leaked their names to the local press, but canceled after public outcry. Now they were greeted by hundreds of peaceful protesters, mostly college students, who formed a picket line around San Francisco City Hall. The first day, many waited in line hoping to gain admission to the hearing, but discovered that most seats had been given to known HUAC supporters. Protesters inside the City Hall Rotunda chanted, Let us in! Let us in! While those in the hearing room sang the national anthem. The next day, the protests grew in size, but even fewer gained admission. This time, a police riot squad turned fire hoses on protesters in the Rotunda without warning. Inspired by the recent lunch counter sit-ins of the civil rights movement, they sat down and sang, We shall not, we shall not be moved. Some were washed down the marble staircase. Others were dragged by their feet, bumping their heads on every step. Local and national news media called it a riot and blamed it on the protesters. In response, 5,000 people turned out for the final day's protest. HUAC later released a propaganda film about the protests that was shown at military bases and college campuses around the country. Ironically, it inspired many young people to come to UC Berkeley, which became a national center of student protest, notably with the free speech movement in 1964. On Saturday, May 14, 2022, 
A white supremacist killed 10 people at a grocery store in Buffalo, New York. The shooter posted a racist manifesto online before targeting a majority black neighborhood. As reported by Democracy Now! at the time, quote, his writings took heavily from conservative conspiracy theories that white people were in danger of being replaced by people of color. May 14th and 15th, 1970, was the Jackson State Massacre. While most people know that students were killed at Kent State in 1970, very few know about the murder of students at Jackson State, and even less about South Carolina State College in Orangeburg. In Orangeburg, two years before the Kent State murders, three, state, three students were killed and 28 students were injured, most shot in the back by the state police while involved in a peaceful protest. The Jackson State killings occurred on May 14, 15, 1970, at Jackson State College, which is now JSU in Mississippi. A group of student protesters were confronted by city and state police. The police opened fire, killing two students and injuring 12. The police opened fire shortly after midnight on students and passerbys of the May 14th protest of the U.S. invasion of Cambodia during the Vietnam War. As I said, 12 students were wounded and two were killed, including a 21-year-old law student and a 17-year-old high school student. May 15th is International Conscientious Objectors Day, a day to celebrate those who resist war on moral grounds, especially by refusing to participate in military activities. On May 16, 1918, the Sedition Act of 1918 was enacted to extend the Espionage Act of 1917. The Sedition Act covered a broader range of offenses, notably speech and the expression of opinion that cast the government or the war effort in a negative light or interfered with the sale of government bonds. The great labor leader and anti-war voice Eugene V. Debs was one of the many Americans arrested under this act. May 17th is the International Day Against Homophobia, Biphobia, and Transphobia. This is a day set aside to draw the attention of policymakers, opinion leaders, the public, and the media to the violence and discrimination experienced by LGBT plus people. Originally called International Day Against Homophobia, Transphobia was added in 2009 and Biphobia in 2015. And it's obvious that this is a day that is very necessary considering the wave of legislation hitting state after state targeting our LGBT friends. On May 17, 1954, the U.S. Supreme Court handed down a unanimous decision in Brown v. Board of Education. Decades of strategic planning and brave actions led to this historic ruling to end racial segregation in public schools. May 19th is the 310th anniversary of the Boston Bread Riot. Food shortages were common in Boston, where grain had to be imported. Merchants hoarded grain or sold it to foreign, foreign markets for huge profits, which exacerbated food shortages. For the third time in four years, hundreds of people rioted on Boston Common over the high price of bread. 
The riots helped persuade the colonial legislature to pass regulations designed to manage food shortages. Despite these laws, hoarding and food riots continued throughout the 18th century. On May 19, 1975, virtually every shop and factory in New York City's Chinatown was closed, with signs posted on the windows and on doors reading, Closed to Protest Police Brutality. In April 1975, Peter Yu, a young Chinese-American, asked that police stop beating a 15-year-old whom they had stopped for a traffic violation. For his concern, Yu was savagely beaten right on the spot, taken back to the police station, stripped, beaten again, and arrested on charges of resisting arrest and assault on a police officer. Yu's beating was the last straw as 15,000 Chinatown community members took to the streets to fight back against police attacks and brutality against their community. The community united around demands for the dismissal of all charges against Yu, an end to discrimination of the Chinese community, and an end to discrimination in employment, housing, education, health, and all other social services for all minorities and working people. A week before the May 19th demonstration, several thousand people had marched on City Hall under an action sponsored by the Asian Americans for Equal Employment, raising demands similar to those raised at the later May 19th action. The local business community and establishment refused to publicize or endorse the AAFEE action. A week later, the Consolidated Benevolent Association called the May 19th action, bringing out old and young in one of the most united and militant actions ever taken by Chinatown residents. Although the Consolidated Benevolent Association tried to keep demands focused on just Peter Yu, the people of Chinatown clearly saw the broader issues, the fact that police repression was coming down in communities all across the United States. This was shown by the slogans raised, such as fight, police brutality, fight all oppression. May 20th is the 60th anniversary of Medgar Evers' speech on racism. In a nationally televised speech, civil rights activist Medgar Evers, a U.S. Army veteran, spoke out against racism in the South. He spoke of his frustration that even after honorably serving his country, he was treated differently because of his skin color. He also mentioned that even in Jackson, Mississippi, where black residents made up 40% of the population at the time, they could not serve as police officers, clerks, or firefighters, nor could they vote. And unfortunately, within a month, Medgar Evers was murdered. May 22nd is the 120th anniversary of the Platt Amendment. Although presented as a treaty to protect Cuba's independence, the Platt Amendment to the Cuban Constitution, ending five years of U.S. occupation of Cuba, was seen by many Cubans as an infringement on their sovereignty. It gave the U.S. the right to interfere with Cuban affairs if it felt U.S. interests were endangered, and it established a U.S. naval base at Guantanamo. In 1934, President Franklin D. Roosevelt repealed the terms of the amendment, except the naval base, which, of course, still exists, and though this was certainly not the end of American imperialism directed at the island nation. 
1993, the United Nations proclaimed May 22nd the International Day for Biological Diversity to increase understanding and awareness of biodiversity issues. According to UNESCO, quote, Biodiversity is the living fabric of our planet. It underpins human well-being in the present and in the future, and its rapid decline threatens nature and people alike. The main global drivers of biodiversity loss are climate change, invasive species, over-exploitation of natural resources, pollution, and urbanization. May 23, 1838 was the beginning of the Trail of Tears. On May 23, 1838, the forced removal of the Cherokee, Creek Nation, Seminole, Chickasaw, Choctaw, and other Native American nations officially began. A land theft, massacre, and attempted genocide now known as the Trail of Tears. A petition was signed by close to every member of the Cherokee Nation, about 16,000 folks, in protest of the planned removal, but this resounding democratic voice was ignored. On May 23, 1903, an estimated 100,000 textile workers, including more than 10,000 children, went on strike in the Philadelphia area. Among the issues were 60-hour work weeks, including late-night hours for the children. A year ago, on May 24, 2022, was the Uvalde school shooting. While almost 400 law enforcement officers stood by, 19 children and two teachers were shot dead in Uvalde, Texas, on May 24, in an elementary school that is 90% Hispanic. The victims included nine-year-olds and ten-year-olds, two of their fourth-grade teachers. And the shooting in Uvalde came just ten days after the racist massacre in Buffalo. May 25th is African Liberation Day. Established in 1958 at the first Pan-African Conference held on African soil, African Liberation Day celebrates the hard-fought freedoms of African countries from European colonizers. Also on May 25th is the 80th anniversary of a white riot at the Alabama Dry Dock Shipping Company. After 12 black workers were promoted to higher positions at the Alabama Dry Dock Shipping Company, white workers became incensed. The promotions were in, were in response to President Roosevelt's directives to elevate African Americans to skilled positions, as well as years of pressure from local black leaders and the NAACP. A mob of 4,000 heavily armed white shipyard workers and community members attacked black employees. More than 50 people were severely injured in the attacks. A good reminder that the answer to racism, the answer to all bigotry, is solidarity. And also a reminder that when our politicians in Alabama talk about riots, they often neglect to mention that the history of riots in the state of Alabama is dominated by white supremacists. So while they come up with bills targeting union members and Black Lives Matter protesters, it's racists who, by and large, have rioted in the state of Alabama. On May 25, 1934, was the Minneapolis Teamsters Strike. 
On this day in 1934, the historic Minneapolis Teamster Strike of 1934 reached a settlement with union recognition and reinstatement for all fired workers. The strike was one of the most violent in the state's history and a major battle in Minnesota's Civil War of the 1930s between business and labor. A non-union city, Minneapolis business leaders had successfully kept unions at bay through an organization called the Citizens Alliance. By early May 1934, one of the worst years of the Great Depression, General Drivers Local 574 of the Teamsters had organized 3,000 truckers. When employers refused to recognize the union or its right to speak for all of its members, union leaders called a strike. There's an invaluable website for teaching about the strike called Minneapolis Truckers Make History with the story of the strike, photos, timelines, essays, and more. So check that out if you'd like to learn more about the historic Minneapolis Teamster Strike of 1934. On May 26, 1937, the Battle of the Overpass took place. Union members were beaten by Ford Motor Company reps for distributing leaflets. The company tried to destroy the photos, but were unsuccessful in destroying all of them. And what got out raised public sympathy for the union and led to the establishment of the Pulitzer Prize for Photography. Historian Kevin Boyle says, quote, A symbolic moment where ordinary people who weren't union members, people living out in Iowa on the farm, could look at the newspaper and say, geez, that's not right. That's what you want, that one flash where people who aren't tied to you suddenly sympathize with your cause. May 26, 1913. The Actors' Equity Association is founded by 112 actors at a meeting in New York City's Paps Grand Circle Hotel. Big-time producer George M. Cohen responded, I will drive an elevator for a living before I will do business with any actors' union. Later, a sign will appear in Times Square reading, Elevator Operator Wanted. George M. Cohen need not apply. Solidarity with all of our actors out there. And on that note, solidarity with all the writers who are on strike right now. Shout out to WGA. May you get the contract you deserve. May 28th is the 60th anniversary of Woolsworth's sit-in. Citing local customs, Woolsworth's, which was a national chain of discount stores, refused to serve black customers in its southern stores. Students in Jackson, Mississippi, staged a sit-in at the Woolworth's counter, uh, lunch counter and were immediately beset by white assailants throwing food, hot coffee, syrup, mustard, and other objects at the nonviolent protesters. The incident made national news, and the Kennedy administration intervened though nothing changed really until the Civil Rights Bill passed in 1964. May 29th is Memorial Day, originally designated as a day to honor those who died in the Civil War. Memorial Day, formerly called Decoration Day, is now celebrated as a tribute to all those who have died while serving in the U.S. Armed Forces. On May 29, 1941, Disney animators launched a strike. Tom Sito, one of the animators, explains. Labor pressures have been building in the Magic Kingdom since promises made to artists over the success of Snow White were reneged on. 
and Walt Disney's lawyer, Gunther Lessing, encouraged a hard line with his employees. On May 28th, in defiance of the Wagner Act, Disney fired animator Art Babbitt, the creator of Goofy, and 13 other car cartoonists for demanding a union. A motion to strike was made that evening. The picket line with major cartoonists began the next morning. Walt Disney nearly had a nervous breakdown over the strike, and a federal mediator was sent by Washington to arbitrate. In later years, Uncle Walt blamed the studio's labor ills on communists. The studio unionized completely, but the hard feelings remained for the rest of their lives. May 30th, 1943, was the birthday of James Earl Cheney. He was an activist in the Civil Rights Movement, and he joined the Congress of Racial Equality, or CORE, in 1963 in Meridian, my hometown. Cheney was part of a campaign of voter registration and desegregation known as the 1964 Freedom Summer Project. On June 21st, Cheney and two other volunteers were arrested without cause. On their release, they were murdered by Klan members who had been tipped off by the police. Their bodies were discovered six weeks later around Philadelphia, Mississippi. May 30th is also the 80th anniversary of the Zoot Suit Riots. In Los Angeles, California, white soldiers targeted Latino youth in a series of violent attacks that became known as the Zoot Suit Riots. White sailors and soldiers spread throughout Los Angeles attacking any Latino youth wearing zoot suits, which was a popular fashion at the time, beating them with belt buckles and ropes and stripping them of their clothes. The animosity was fueled by an influx of Latino immigrants into L.A. following World War II, who then became scapegoats for a rise in crime. On May 30, 1937, Chicago police attacked a Memorial Day gathering of unarmed, striking steel workers and their families. The police shot and killed 10 of the strikers. May 30th, May 30th is the 50th anniversary of Crystal Lee Sutton's dismissal from J.P. Stevens. In the South, unions were and are much less prevalent than in other parts of the country. The Textile Workers Union of America tried unsuccessfully to organize the textile industry down here. Crystal Sutton had worked at the Stevens Textile Mill for a decade, earning about $2.80 per hour. She finally realized unionizing was the only way to make meaningful changes. When management got wind of her pro-union stance, Sutton was fired. The 1979 film Normal Ray, starring Sally Field, is roughly based on Sutton's organizing efforts. And if you missed the segment last week, Normal Ray was my pick for April's Labor Film of the Month. Highly recommend you check that out. If you haven't watched it, it is worth watching. And finally, one of the most violent episodes of dispossession in U.S. history began on May 31, 1921 in Greenwood, a thriving black neighborhood in Tulsa, Oklahoma. From May 31st through June 1st, deputized whites killed more than 300 African Americans. They looted and burned to the ground 40 square blocks of 1,265 African American homes, including hospitals, schools, churches, 
and 150 businesses. White deputies and members of the National Guard arrested and detained 6,000 black Tulsans who were released only upon being vouched for by a white employer or other white citizen. 9,000 African Americans were left homeless and lived in tents well into the winter of 1921. This assault was met by a brave but unsuccessful armed defense of their community by some black World War I veterans and others. This description is by Linda Christensen of uh, Rethinking Schools in the introduction to her lesson, Burning Tulsa, The Legacy of Black Dispossession. She goes on to describe why and how she and her colleagues teach about the Tulsa massacre, which is often described in textbooks as a quote-unquote race riot. She said, We didn't want students to get lost in the history of Tulsa, though it needs to be remembered. We wanted them to recognize the historical patterns of stolen wealth in black, brown, and poor communities. We wanted them to connect the current economic struggles of people of color by staying alert to these dynamics from the past. We wanted them to see that in many ways, Tulsa and other black communities are still burning and still being looted. So that's it for May's Labor and Social Justice Anniversaries. Uh, like I said, this was a big month. A lot of heavy, a lot of heavy events occurred in May throughout our history of wor as working class people. Thanks again to the Zen Education Project and to Planning to Change the World, a plan book for social justice educators. Those were my two primary sources here. So as I wrap things up this morning, I do want to mention some excellent upcoming training opportunities from Labor Notes. May's Steward Workshop is going to be Just Cause with Robert Schwartz on Monday, May 22nd from 5 to 6.30 p.m. Central Time. Calling all union stewards. Just Cause is the keystone of the union contract, protecting members from unwarranted and excessive discipline. But many of its most important secrets have been restricted to arbitrators and labor professionals. Join Labor Notes for a stewards workshop on Just Cause, where we'll talk about what it is, what it isn't, and how stewards can use it to vigorously enforce the rights of members. The workshop will be led by veteran labor attorney Bob Schwartz, who is the author of the popular resource Just Cause, a union guide to winning discipline cases, which is available through Labor Notes. The cost is only $10, but no one will be turned away due to lack of funds. Also available is registration plus 50% off a one-year subscription to Labor Notes magazine. So if you don't have a subscription to the magazine, you're interested in this workshop, why not knock out two birds with one stone? Go ahead and, and just sign up for both. Also in May is the Secrets of a Successful Organizer workshop series, uh, May 3rd, 10th, and 17th. So if you missed the May 3rd one, you missed Beating Apathy. The next two sessions are Assembling Your Dream Team and Turning an Issue into a Campaign. Highly recommend you check out those workshops and trainings by Labor Notes. You can go to labornotes.org to find out more information. And in other plugs, it is Teacher Appreciation Week, so please show your teachers some love, uh, including all educators, whether they are counselors or librarians, custodians, cafeteria workers, school bus drivers, whatever their role, 
the folks who make our schools run deserve some love and some appreciation. And I uh, also wanted to mention, if you are local to the Huntsville area, this Saturday night is Porch Fest, which is a free music festival in Five Points. I uh, definitely recommend you check that out if you're in the area, you want some entertainment, free entertainment. Can't beat that. Also wanted to mention, Jacob has a new article in In These Times, An Explosion, Layoffs, and the End of Paper in J. So check out Jacob Morrison's article uh, published by In These Times, where he's reporting on a paper mill shutdown in J, Maine. And last plug is for the Alabama International Fringe Festival, which is a three-day event taking place on May 12th, 13th, and 14th, centered in Montgomery. That includes a performance of Toll Puddle the Musical, which is a musical about union struggles in 1800s England. I think it's really cool that a union-themed musical is taking place in Alabama, and I'm hoping to interview the director and some of the actors on this Saturday show, so stay tuned. And that's it for the ninth episode of Shop Talk. I hope it was worth your time, and I really appreciate everyone listening. If you enjoyed it, please share with your network and make sure you're plugged into our work. Stay tuned to the Valley Labor Report on Saturday mornings starting at 9.30 a.m. Central, live on WVNN, YouTube, and Facebook. Please sign up for our email list at tvlr.fm, and don't forget to like, review, share, and subscribe. And finally, if you share our mission to grow the Southern labor movement, if you share our belief in the power of solidarity and collective organization, if you want media that is for working people, by working people, please consider becoming a recurring donor at tvlr.fm slash donate. All power to the workers, y'all. Solidarity.